Welcome on to the Assistant to the General Manager podcast, part of the Off the Glass Podcast Network. And we're in the swing of the playoffs right now, but we're going to go ahead and give you all our Houston offseason deep dive. Sam, you can go go ahead and start us off with what Houston's books look like going into the offseason, or just do you want to talk about their great season they just pulled off? Yeah, Houston had a heck of a season. I know that you are a semi-Rockets guy, so I'm guessing you didn't enjoy anymore. Guessing you did not enjoy their 17-win season, of which they had like multiple losing streaks, over 15 games, I believe. So yeah, you you kind of were on the hardened train as he got traded, I assume. Yep, it's crazy too, like how. I still thought Houston would end up being like halfway decent, but they they put the tank job on, and that's one of the most impressive most impressive tank jobs I've ever seen. To clarify, like why it was so important for them to tank as hard as they did, they only get to keep their pick. They have a they're mixed in all these sort of crazy pick situations, but for this upcoming draft, they would keep their own pick if it is top four. So basically, if their lottery ball gets drawn, they get to pick it. And obviously, being the worst team in the league, you have the best odds to keep that. Um, really, anywhere one through three, you'd have those odds, and then four, very close to those odds. Uh, but if it lands outside of the top four, it goes to OKC, and then they would get Miami's pick, which is probably already set right now, some like 17 or 18. Yeah, 18. Um, yeah, and then they also, yeah, and I was also going to say, uh, they have. Who is it? Portland and Milwaukee's picks also, which is 23 and 24. <laughs> they just have so many weird pick situations like we were talking about earlier. Um, what makes that Milwaukee one so random is like it's the P.J. Tucker trade or the James Harden trade. They originally got a what? They got 22. Then they sent that. I don't remember how that one worked out, but I know they gave Milwaukee a pick back so they could get a different Milwaukee pick. Yeah, it's yeah. a mess. Yeah, to get around the stepping rule, they like gave Milwaukee back the 22 pick, and then they're swapping the 21. They get Milwaukee's 2021, and have to trade their second. It's technically a swap, but but basically, yeah. So you're moving on to their um, draft pick situation because their season was so abysmal. Honestly, we probably won't really talk about their season much at all. They're Basically the worst team in the league. I mean, OKC was probably worse, which is kind of funny because the Russell Russell uh, Westbrook CP3 trade was only two seasons ago, and these were both playoff teams, and they faced each other in the first round last year, and now they are literally the two worst teams in the league. So it's just funny. I mean, technically Detroit uh, and Orlando both finished beneath them, but once OKC literally stopped playing all of their players who were real NBA players, they lost pretty much all their games. I think they had some insane run where they averaged losing by over 20 points a game for like 30 games in a row. So pretty remarkable the seasons those two teams had to uh, tank to the bottom of the West. So yeah, so really it's all eyes on the future, which is the draft picks and the lottery Second to only the Wolves, probably. Their lottery is the most gut-wrenching, for sure. Like you touched on earlier, I think it's they have a 52% chance of keeping their pick, meaning it lands top four, and then whatever, the 47.9% chance of losing it, which really just means it goes to the, the Miami pick, which is still good. But when they already have two other first-rounders and they're missing out on one of these top five like coveted draft picks that everyone's talking about, it would sort of be a disaster to lose it. <laughs> but now it's all down to a coin flip. Yeah. Like we were talking about in the beginning, I'm a, no longer a Rockets fan. <laughs> was, I was always just falling for Harden. Uh, that's kind of just how basketball fandom works. Anyway, ball players more than teams. and James Harden is my favorite player. Um, but I just, And you being a Wolves fan, just... That's crazy, just looking at where these teams ended up. There's for a while they're basically going back and forth between like the worst teams in the league. So that's fun news for the pod. Yeah, it was a rough go for the two of us. Like you said, you're a little more player based than team based, but since I actually do go to Wolves games and I don't know, for some unknown reason I just feel connected to them. It was it was a rough season here as well. Um, so we're and we're ready to move on to twenty twenty two for sure. Yeah, and what's crazy about Houston is like they have, if you just look at their roster, like you would say, okay, that's probably a team that maybe would be fighting for like a play in or something, but 
Nope, that's not the case. I mean, they had a lot of injuries, and they did, like, milk some of the injuries. But, I mean, they, there's still some talent on the roster, and that's what's – we're kind of jumping all over the place here. Um, but, so, they don't have – they don't owe anyone their pick for next year. There's no sort of uh, – pick swaps or anything like they have complete control of their own pick in 22 and 23. So a lot of like Rockets Twitter that I still like follow, um, they, they all, they're always talking about the tank situation and all that. And like coming into the season, the thought was, all right, evaluate the James Harden situation. We're probably going to have to move him regardless, but a lot of Rockets Twitter wanted to go for it one more year and then start the tank in 22 because they control their own picks. And like, no one was really talking about the fact that like uh, tanking would start this season, and if even if like cause most people expect to get like a Ben Simmons or something back in the rock in the Harden trade. Um, so yeah, that's they kind of one year ahead of schedule on the tank, and it like we've we've talked about it a few times, but with the Wolves and Golden State situation too, like this lottery is going to be electric. Yeah. It's already on my calendar. It's going to be wild. And, like, it's like it's not a secret, but, like, the entire state of two franchises, like, or four, I guess, kind of hinge on, on like, a bunch of ping pong balls coming up your way. It's yes. pretty wild if you think about it when the NBA is, like, a multi-billion dollar industry yeah. and, like, just the players – the fame, the money, and it's like literally all comes down to this silly little machine to see if, um, yeah, I mean, like, what if Houston landed the first pick, or what if Minnesota landed the first pick, or if you know OKC or Golden State get those picks instead. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm, I might need a sedative before I watch the lottery this year. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited for it. Um, do you yeah, want to run to the books? Real yeah, quick, we are all jumped around time. so much. Yeah, but like I said. I mean, the draft picks is really what people care about, probably, and what people are excited for, even if you are a Rockets fan. But exactly. as far as what they actually have, um, they have John Wall, who maybe is the worst contract in the entire league. He is going to make $44 million next year, and and he even goes out another year for $47 million, which is just insane. So John Wall is the anchor at point guard. Then they have... Eric Gordon and Christian Wood are the other two guys that, I don't know, make any significant money. Gordon's around 18, and Christian Wood is on um, 13 this year and 14 next year. And then after that, they have a bunch of guys who are expiring. Um, they have Kelly Olenek, Dante Exum, DJ Wilson, and they have restricted rights on Wilson. Um, they have Sterling Brown and David Nuaba, who are also expiring, and... And then Wiley Vet, DJ Augustine at seven million. So basically, they they could get the cap space if they let everybody go that was expiring, including the holds for the restricted free agents. But it would only be around six or seven million, thanks to John Wall, and then also thanks to the fact that they have um, all this first round pick money coming in because they have three first round picks, and one of them, I mean, one of them could be first, which is like. 10 million or even a little bit more than that i think so like they easily could have a lot of their space just eaten up by their picks so they could get between let's call it like five to eight million dollars of space if they really wanted but when you're that close it's almost always better to just keep the cap holds on the books operate as an over the cap team and then you can use your full mid-level exception instead of the the room exception which doesn't really go too far so for all intents and purposes, they're probably going to stay over the cap and not really be a player in free agency. Also, I don't know who would be dying to come to this team as kind of their current state. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what their books look like. Yeah, and basically you detailing their free agency situation kind of explains why it could be a pretty slow offseason for the Rockets. Um, one thing I'll note about the season is, I mean, I think Raphael Stone's done a pretty good job since he's taken over, like, um, got great value on the Harden trade. Basically, every deal he's made, he's uh, – the Covington trade. Like, I can't remember if Christian Wood was technically looped into that one because I know they got Trevor Reza back and then Trevor Reza bounced around. I don't remember if that was technically the same trade, but, yeah. but I it was, think it that's two different trades, I think. Okay. As far as because negotiating, what, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just talking about, like, I guess uh, – how it technically finished. Yeah. 
I, but I think like the final haul for Covington ended up being this Portland pick and Christian Wood in like some seconds and I don't know like I remember there were so many so much like little random extra things being added to all those deals but I mean that was great value um, the Victor Oladipo PJ Tucker things I like the value a lot on the PJ Tucker deal actually um, moving up like seven or eight spots this year and then basically hedging your your bet on like Milwaukee being a little bit worse in the future and getting the 23 pick instead of the 22, I think is how it worked out. So I like a lot of what they did and they set themselves up to tank and have clean books in a few years. So I think he's done a pretty great job. He definitely has shown that he understands the process and just kind of the right way to go about things. And it seems like, Surprise! It took us this on to mention him, but it seems like Tillman's actually gonna let them put the tank job on for at least two-ish seasons. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's done some great jobs there. And then just looking at some of the value he's found on the margins, like potentially added three members to the core at minimum contracts. I mean, I think you could say for sure Kevin Porter Jr. and Jay Sean Tate are definitely members of the core. Um, we'll see how the type of role they can play on a good team going forward, but. You have great team control of those guys, and then a lot of people like what KJ Martin's been doing. But as like an athletic hustle guy, like he's been thriving at the end of the year, and that's kind of when people aren't playing as hard. So we'll see if how much of a player he actually is, being like the 50th pick in the draft or wherever he was. So um, yeah, I mean, I like what Stone's done. I think they have added some real pieces that, if they were able to turn things around somewhat quick or and people like Kevin Porter Jr.'s case, like they have all sorts of team control on him. So I'm interested to see how some of these things play out. Yeah, they've done a good job with a lot of their deals. Like even to flush it out, they have so they're gonna have three firsts this year, no matter what. Hopefully, it's their own first plus the Portland Milwaukee, and then next year they have two firsts again. With the other ones being, I believe, the better of Brooklyn and Miami. And then they have three firsts in 2023, if you include the Wizards pick, which maybe will come to them. It's lottery protected, and who knows how they'll be. Yeah, I think, of course, real quick, I'll add to the Washington one. I think that one should eventually convey. Um, that yeah, one it like gets drops lot, by a little bit. Yeah, that one gets lighter than the Detroit one. That's, that's the weird one. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that's actually part of that Covington Wood Hall as well. So, but yeah, that one... Could is this year the first year like technically like yeah it but could, it wasn't could even have worth considering it. yeah it, it goes from like top sixteen to up to top eighteen like goes down like a little bit every year and then which is I mean super smart by Houston I think because at some point if they like Detroit cannot trade another first technically they, or they can say the next um, next allowable but they yeah. have every year worth of responsibilities like. So if it doesn't convey, and it's pretty strongly con- uh, protected, like, teams would realize that there's a good chance that they're not getting a pick out of next allowable from Detroit. So if Detroit ever wants to trade a future first, like, they have to ask Houston to lighten up the protections, essentially. So, I mean, I, I think it's really good business by Houston there. Another good thing Stone did. Wow, yeah, I didn't even really consider it in that fashion. I was going to say it's really just a detriment to the Pistons since they can't actually move any deals. But if they see one they want, you're right. They have to, you know, call Houston back up and say, hey, we'll um, lighten the protections for some small bit, whether it's cash or some other fake second swap or whatever. But, yeah, no, that's good. I'm glad you brought that up. So, like, I didn't even include them this year because obviously Detroit was terrible. But, yeah, it's 1 through 16, 1 through 16, 1 through 18, 1 through 18, the next four years, and it goes all the way to 2027. Uh, that... That is pretty wild. So, yeah, who knows when that's going to come. I think Dunk Don laughs at that one, and they were talking about, will that actually get conveyed? Or maybe that was the Washington one. Both of them actually are pretty wild. So they've done a good yeah. job of, like, diversifying their future firsts that are coming. Um, it's just another feather in Stone's cap. But I, the one thing that you said, I don't know if I agree with, like, you do actually think they got good value out of the Harden deal? I mean, the guy is, like, a top three MVP candidate – he still had two years left in his deal, and they got Victor Oladipo, who turned into absolutely nothing when they could have maybe got Levert or Allen. Like, sure, all these firsts are good, and I think they'll probably be somewhat valuable. Like, they're valuable just to trade or the 2020 
five or six probably starts to look good for Brooklyn. But ultimately, they're all kind of just lottery tickets, right? And they kind of have nothing tangible to show for it. But maybe that's better if you wanted to tank anyway. So I I could see both sides of it. But I, I don't know that I would classify their return as great for the Harden deal. Yeah, I, get, I think you do have to add to the calculation like the fact that it allowed them to get the worst record in the league this year. Like Everything they did it vastly increased the chances of them uh, keeping their pick this year, but that's kind of arbitrary there. We can look at like the what the tangibles are, like what they actually got. Um, I mean, like you said, it is kind of a bet on like Brooklyn like bottoming out, but I mean, I think that's pretty, like compared to what else was out there, if you like I said at the time, like, I was fine with taking Ben Simmons, a package based around him, light picks, and like one other young player, but there was probably way more of a ceiling on an offer like that. Like, once the, that's, I mean, there's probably not a real realistic chance you can turn that into a championship team at some point. Um, like, you could probably be really good for a few more years and just getting such a good player who's so young under contract for five years. I mean, obviously, that's great value, but the, and, in this situation, like their future, I mean, even these picks don't end up being great. Like, they they own Brooklyn's future. Like, if if Brooklyn were to just lose some some version of the superstars, like, I mean, I don't want to just say like, oh, look at ha- look what happened to Boston with Brooklyn. Like, they got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out of it. Like, right. obviously that's su- such a rare case, but the situation's kind of the same. Like, if Brooklyn's bad from 25 to 27, you could get one unprotected pick and like two great swaps out of that. Like. I mean, if like there's like just a lot of potential on that. Um, like, if there's a world where like like I just said, where like three great things happen like that. There's a world where like maybe you move up once, but it's like super important, or maybe it's like 27 is the first year that Brooklyn's actually bad, but they're like really bad, and you get a great pick out of it. So, I mean, I just think there's definitely there's just so much of a chance where it pops, you get, or just a chance where it's like okay, I don't see, and I don't see really any any scenario where it's like just terrible. Um, and just comparing it to the other returns, like Ben Simmons, like I said, I would have been fine with that, but you're just kind of, you you are kind of setting the ceiling on yourself with that, accepting that offer. I, I think I agree with that. They, they definitely have a higher, if you, if you really squint and I mean, maybe not even like, I mean, Katie and Kyrie have a long injury history. Kyrie never know what his next move is going to be. It could be changing to soccer or, yeah, Hollywood. Who really knows? So I can see, yeah, I can see that the upside is higher. I guess the one piece is just the Oladipo. Maybe they didn't realize how um, injured yeah. he was or how tanked his value is going to be. And and also, I mean, I think if he would have taken that deal that they allegedly offered him, like they would be, he would be screwed, right? Like that that's one they probably couldn't even get off of either without attaching assets. So I guess in a way they got lucky there. Just feels like Levert could have been reflippable, but maybe that was just yeah, yeah. misevaluating. Uh, injury of status. Yeah, that's like one part where I I'm I'm not I don't want to say they got wrong. It's just like there's the argument that like you could have tried to flip Levert, but I mean obviously uh, the the health scare happened like right after this trade, and like that's what caused um, him to become aware of it. But just what if Levert he did come back? So like what if he helped them win a few too many games, or just like what are you doing with Liver anyways? Help you're winning four extra games, which might cause you to miss out on keeping a top four pick. And um, yeah, so, but I definitely agree. Like maybe there, there's a world where you get him and reflip him. But I, at the time with Oladipo, I remember thinking, okay, if this works, like, cool, we can, they, uh, they can make a playoff push and maybe try and be at the eight seed or something, whatever, just have a solid season. And then look into resigning him if it, if it works, but if it doesn't, you're you can just act like it never happened. He expires, or you can trade him again before the trade deadline. So I think there was value to just getting to evaluate the old depot situation because if you were trying to be good, I would take a healthy or obviously like we didn't have the medicals that like we don't know what's going on there, but I would take a healthier old depot or like a somewhat healthy version of old depot over Karis Avert. But um, that's a different conversation anyway. And the the Jared, the Jared Allen thing, like I go back and forth on that one because it's not just Jared Allen. Like, they would have to eat Torian Prince's contract, which I don't think is that big of a deal. Like 
we've always talked about how I think I've even used him specifically, like those type of contracts of just like serviceable players that aren't long term but just kind of kind of big for one year. Like those are perfectly fine. Like they're great for trades. They don't really kill you, and some a lot of times they're necessary. Um, Not great for Fertitta's yeah. pocketbook though. <laughs> yeah, and it's looking like Jared Allen's really going to get paid, but that's probably just because Cleveland's going to overpay him. Um, but it, having Jared Allen a part of the young core that would have been really nice. And I don't think he's like good, like enough of a floor raiser too, to where he would like change your regular season fate too much. Especially if you just like would sit him a lot with like random entries and things like that. But the only reason I'd be interested in that is just because not 100 percent sure like Christian Wood should be like a full time center anyway. Like I think for, I like just kind of stopped watching Houston by the middle and end of the season. But Rackets Twitter was constantly talking about how much he grown as a defender from like day one to the last game um but i know in the beginning of the season it was pretty rough having him be like the sole center out there so i don't know if there's lots of little parts of it that are like sure that you can say maybe they ended up losing that part of it or they'd been better off making the other decision but at the end of the day you're just making the bet on all like just me hoping that brooklyn's bad by then like i don't see a world where brooklyn's like a championship contender by then so I don't think there's too low of a floor with this deal, but there's pretty high ceiling. I think, I think that sums it up pretty well. Um, Allen would be a nice bit to have, but yeah, like you said, he has to get paid. And I, don't know, I looked a little bit at Christian Wood because he was one of the players that I actually care about on this roster. And he, uh, the Houston team was so disjointed that I don't know if it tells us anything, but he was they were pretty bad when he was at the four, actually. Cause I, so I'm not entirely sure if he's a four or five either, but the, uh, their numbers were a lot better when he was a center. Um, and the defense is actually fine, too, with him at center. So I don't know if that was speaking to some of the progression he made throughout the year that you were alluding to. But it, it feels like he's probably a center. Not a lot of teams have like a 6'11 guy like him playing the four. Most of the time, yeah. more like a 6'6", 6'7", like stretch four. But so, since he can shoot, like he, he could probably pass there for a while but probably lean towards him being a center long term yeah i would definitely be interested in pairing like at least having a rim runner like clint capella deandre jordan type center on the roster um or whatever like team he's on like i think that'd be nice to have to go to at times where yeah you just tell him on the perimeter just close out super hard to force people off three-point line and just recover the best you can but we're going to force them into the other center on the court then on offense you can work a real nice high low where Christian Wood is popping, and you had a roll man who's rolling hard. So I think there's definitely um, something to be explored there and to have a center on the roster with him. But, yeah, he's probably best as the center. Agreed. Um, Just looking more at their team in general and running back to what you said earlier, like this team really shouldn't have been that bad, right? Like if you look at their team, they have John Wall, Kevin Porter Jr., who came on late, Eric Gordon, Jayshon Tate, Christian Wood. Like, isn't that a semi-formidable like, lineup? Sterling Brown. Sterling Brown was good this year, too. Like, he's a more than serviceable bench wing. And David Nuaba, B.J. Augustine, veteran backup point guard, and Kelly Olenek. Like, those, that team shouldn't win 17 games, right? Yeah, this is probably, like, up there all time for, like, just a weird chemistry team. Because, like, the whole... <laughs> John, obviously the James Harden stuff at the beginning, but then you got to remember DeMarcus Cousins was on this team too. And it's like, they all, him and John Wall weren't happy with the Harden situation. The people had been in Houston for two months. Like they wanted to have like issues with all that. Um, Forgot PJ Tucker was still on this team, honestly. Um, And he's like the all time vet plays hard professional. And he was kind of sick of all of it. You got Eric Gordon talking in the shadows. Daniel House, apparently everyone hates him. <laughs> um, uh, just Avery Bradley was on this team. Yeah, and under they, one of the rare just like team options. I feel like you don't see team options too much, but he has a team option for next year at around like six million. Which yeah. funny as so basically getting back jumping around so much, but um, looking at their general strategy for the offseason, I think it depends on like what. I mean, what uh, pick they draw. If they have a top four pick, um, we can get into this a little deeper later. But, like, I don't think it's crazy to be a little bit more aggressive with trying to be better next year, especially if you get number one. Like, you get a real franchise changer. 
But if they don't keep their pick, uh, this is going to loop it back to Avery Bradley. Like I said, and then also what I said in the beginning, where 22 and 23 are the years you really tank because you completely control your pick. I'm picking up that Avery Bradley option to help us lose. Um, I'm, I'm letting him get a starting role because he's one of those guys who everyone still thinks really D's up, but I mean, he's not really doing anything other than a little ball pressure and offense. Sure. Take any shot you want. <laughs> starting backcourt of DJ Augustine and Avery Bradley. Let's run some stats up, try and trade you all at the deadline, but get us some, some L's piled up in the beginning of the season. Um, I do say that joking around, but not really. <laughs> like I would definitely pick up that team option just to have like a, solid kind of middle-sized salary and someone who I think is going to eat up a lot of possessions that don't really contribute towards winning. And it's like not like it, it and it's a good way to like save face with the two. It's like, Oh, we brought back Avery Bradley, the veteran player. Like we're trying to be better. Are you going to be the one to tell John Wall he's coming off the bench in this uh, backcourt? <laughs> I forgot about tried? John Wall. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> tough. Speaking of John Wall too, like apparently he's like, already having issues with Houston in Houston too. And it's just like, what do you want, man? You may like the only way you're ever getting out is if you do what Blake Griffin did and give up what, like 13 million. Is that how much you gave up? Something like that. I think that's right. I don't know if I saw like the final, final number, but yeah. And John Wall's making like 20% more than what Blake Griffin was. So like, (laughs) he makes so much money. (laughs) Yeah. With Eric Gordon too. He was actually actually playing really well. Like the shot wasn't falling at a great amount, but it's like with Eric Gordon, the test for him is just is so much more eye test. Like how does he look athletically on the court? Like is he able to one stay healthy, but two get dribble penetration and finish well at the basket? And he was. I mean, he was playing great. I think he was around like 18 points a game. This is off the top of my head, but I think he was around like 17 to 20 points a game at like a 60% e field goal, despite the fact that he was making like lower than average on the three point on his three point percentage. So like Eric Gordon's actually had a real nice year until injuries started uh, acting up again. And I'm sure they just completely shut him down. Like if he was on a serious team who'd be able to play, but like people always want to talk so much uh, trash about that contract, but it, I just don't think it's that bad. Like if he's healthy, he's actually more than worth that. Like he's that kind of Malcolm Brogdon, Fred Van Fleet type where he's going to give you a ton of spacing letting it fly from three. He's going to really D up on the other end and you can trust them to create a shot if you have to. Like, I mean, he's a proven playoff player and proven two way playoff player who doesn't take anything away on offense because of the insane spacing gives you spotting up seven, eight feet behind the three point line and being a great transition player and uh, attacker of the rim. So yeah, I mean, I, I get it. It does have serious health concerns, but if you can, stay healthy for like half season or so. I, if I'm another team, I'm taking a chance on him. Uh, like, I think we found another point where we can actually disagree. Like I, I like Gordon and I, I don't think you're wrong with anything you said, but I mean, 18 million next year, 19 and a half the following season. And he turns 33 at the beginning of next year. Like, I mean, what would that get in the open market? Do you think if he's a free agent right now? Well, okay. So, Putting it like that, like just comparing it to what his value might actually be in the open market, you're right. It's he's definitely not going to get that. But I, I guess the way I'm looking at it is to just kind of on the court, what does that equal out to? Like what type of value could he give? And I mean, 18 million—that's good starter money. It's not all-star money. That's kind of just in some cases average starter money. Um, so especially with the cat, well, probably only seeing like a three percent raise this year. Which who knows actually with some stadiums, uh, some arenas might be at 100% capacity by the end of the playoffs. So maybe we're looking at more than that minimum of a 3% raise on the salary cap. Actually, I don't even know if they've come out with official numbers. But, I mean, if they, if we kind of are getting the uh, – if everything's back on track going forward where we're expecting, like, full fans next season, now we have Summer League 2, and revenues are back to kind of what they would have been had none of this ever happened. And, the salary cap was set to really raise going forward. So, I mean, if there's a jump in the salary cap too, like a 10, 12% jump, then that Eric Gordon contract, uh, that's assuming that going forward through the life of it, that sort of raise. But then you're looking at kind of just like 
not even that bad of money at all. That's another random thing. I'm wondering if teams will be a little bit more aggressive, maybe expecting the salary cap to raise. Yeah, that that is always a possibility. But of course, then every contract looks a little bit better, a little bit better, right? Not yeah. just is. Uh, I know he would want to be traded. I think he has like a guarantee for the final year if they like win a championship. So, and that's twenty million. So he really would want to cash in on that. But I mean, did you did you try to look? Because I I tried to find him a team, and for me, I didn't see like hardly anyone that makes in between like eleven to twenty million that from a contender that would be a good fit. So, I mean, I'd be curious yeah. if you could find a team for him. I mean, I always loved his fit in Philly, but I didn't, I mean, there's just no trade that's going to happen for him this offseason just because of the fact that even if he was healthy, they just didn't want to win games and just preserve him with the minor injury. Like, he just didn't play for the last third of the season, maybe even more than that. So, there's just no, and like I said, everyone hates his contract, so there's no way he gets traded. Um this offseason, I think. Yeah, and like like Philly, they have three guys over thirty million. Like they almost have no room for another guy that's like above twelve. Like they have Seth Curry is like the only matching salary they would have, and they wouldn't want to do that. Um, I don't know. I I I mean, I maybe the Knicks would just take him like as like a six yeah. man or something. But could they find something better to do with their cap space? I mean, who knows? That's actually the agent really dried up, but. I actually like that a lot. Um, if like if they don't do anything with their catch face, just take them on, maybe just for like a sec, like a fake second, or Houston has to, maybe has to pay Houston seconds to do it. But yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely like that as New York. Yeah. If it didn't go the extra year, like if it was just one year, like I think it'd be different. But the two years on it that are effectively thirty nine million, like that's where teams are just not going to be interested. I don't think. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess we're kind of – is there anything generic strategy for this specific offseason you think uh, needs to be mentioned that we haven't said yet since we're already kind of talking all this trade talk? Right. I mean, I agree with you that they should – their plan should be to build. Like in 22-23, that's when they control their own picks. After that, they kind of owe their picks or owe a swap for a while to the Thunder. So to me, it would be perfectly fine with – not you know i don't even know what they could really do to push the gas down and try to be really good outside of like landing um landing in a, a top three pick and then i guess using some of these picks that they have but even so the roster is just so jumbled and, and strange like they have decent players so who knows and like you, you could always just obviously you just roll it out and see how they do you can always pivot after like 30 games but i think it'd be more like a building and standing pat the next year and a half. So as far as like this off season in general, I, I don't see much like they don't have much cap space. I, I think it'd be really hard to trade some of the guys that we talked about. Like John Wall is like literally untradeable. Don't you think? Yeah. And real quick, just to add to that, like all the, all the veterans who could potentially be traded, none of them are getting traded this off season just because of how bad like this season was for Houston. Like no one has high trade value or even neutral value. Like basically all their like players, like, some we've talked about a lot. Daniel House, like, is a two-way wing on like a four million dollar contract. Like, that's a really nice player to have. But I mean, just he had a terrible year. Was hurt. There's just no veteran on Houston who has like solid trade value right now. There's players who could pretty easily get up to solid value. Like, I think DJ Augustine could help some teams out, especially kind of like fringe playoff teams, be a backup point guard. Like. I think in seven million, that's not a crazy amount to pay him. Um, all the guys we've already talked about, and even if John Wall ever wants to get traded, like he has to show he can stay healthy and be better. Um, this year was a good positive step towards that, but that number's just so insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, just any sort of trade of a veteran, like it's just kind of not going to happen. I legitimately went through the entire league. I could not even find the the closest thing that even possible would be like Kevin Love that they could trade him for. But like, I don't know why either team would be even why? interested in that. <laughs> the only team that would want John Wall is a team that was convinced he was healthy, could push them into like a new playoff tier that they weren't in before. And like all those teams, nobody has 
like you have to have like 33 million going out just to take in John Wall and like everyone who makes that much is actually good like I mean Wiggins yeah. is maybe like the next closest guy or Clay Thompson I guess but like Warriors have Curry and what would the Warriors really do with John Wall that Clay or Wiggins wouldn't be already better at so I literally couldn't find any team that was even like 20% realistic for him to go to. So he's going to be stuck there and chilling. Yeah. Unless he gives up, what would he have to give up to even be waived? Like $30 million. (laughs) Yeah. It was just never. That's insane. Um, One team that actually kind of interests me for him, which maybe with the way things are going, they could look to do something this drastic would be the Clippers. Um, I think it can be. I think it'd be okay fit. I think it'd be a pretty good fit, or it could be a terrible fit. But what for Paul um, George? No, it, that's the thing. I don't, I've even. It's just eyeballing it, or not even eyeballing it, just off the top of my head. You'd probably have to start Marcus Morris. Um, Beverly. I don't know if there's. Yeah, Morris and Beverly. That's probably close enough to where you can find it. Canard. You could. Yeah, I guess you could get there a little easier than I thought, but um. Yeah, that's that's okay. actually a good pull because it's maybe that might be the only team that's even like possible to piece that together. But I don't like that would be wild. <laughs> I, I, stranger things have happened. I guess. It, one of the interesting things is people with like kind of aggressive but like still, argue, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Argumentative, like, but like they're that type of personality, but they're also the like love basketball personality, kind of like a Jimmy Butler type. Like you just never know how that chemistry is going to like, there's definitely like a chance that could be like the perfect addition because they need a leader. They need someone who's not afraid to speak up. Someone who maybe would be like over speak up and be a little, do a little too much of that. Like, but also there's like potential for that to just completely blow up uh, chemistry wise. But I mean, it seems like the Clippers are the worst chemistry team in like, the worst like good chemistry team in a long time, like the worst one I can think of off the top of my head. So maybe if if they, it's a first round exit this year, maybe they something they'd consider. Um, I don't know. That's yeah, but yeah, that's the only I guess like somewhat realistic scenario I can think of. That's a good one. I mean, and that would blow my mind, but I guess that's that's actually one that would more likely to have in the offseason instead of at like the deadline when he's like a lot of these guys we're talking about would probably have to play their value back up but maybe that's something that would happen in the offseason like if Clippers flame out again um, and John Wall was healthy for like most of the year so I don't know yeah we'll see and I, I think the Clippers and they would want to piece together their roster with like minimums and whatnot if they had to lose like Morris Beverly, Ibaka Rondo, yeah. or Kennard, or whatever. They would want to be able to kind of backfill their team, not in the middle of the season when there's zero players available. So, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm mildly intrigued now, but I just didn't even answer that because that's... That would be they so need someone who can put some... The cap. Yeah. They need someone who can put some pressure on a defense, some north-south pressure, uh, someone who will actually get to the rim, but John Wall probably doesn't do enough. They probably settles for too many jumpers, so... I don't know. That's just something super well, interesting. Legitimately, Canard, legitimately, Canard, Beverly, and Morris would get you there. But the Clippers have no picks left thanks to the Paul George trade. Why would Houston even want that? I guess just because like the the that money goes out so far too. The Marcus Morris and the Luke Canard deal yeah. too. But I think Morris and Beverly can be flipped again, and Canard. I think all those are individually flippable. For value at some point and I mean I mean by value I mean just maybe like some seconds but like I don't think you're having to pay to get off one year Patrick Beverly or three years of Morris is tough but I mean yeah. I don't think that's terrible um, Morris might and, be neutral Kennard might be neutral or yeah but bigger. I mean Kennard it's not a crazy amount like with all the like non or with all like the incentives on that like I think it's like 12, 13 million a year. Like, those are all individually fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel like if the Clippers do flame out, like, they're going to have to do something drastic. But I'm wondering if that's, like, trade 
PG, assuming that's assuming Kawhi would even come back. I don't even know. That's something for a different day, maybe. Maybe pretty soon, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, um, there's kind of one topic we actually haven't hit on yet with Houston that's probably the only real interesting thing they have going on. Um, do they look at Christian Wood trades? Yeah, I I didn't come up with any, but it was a thought that occurred to me only because like <laughs> deals in the NBA are so short now. Like they just signed and traded for him, but like he only has two years left, and we already talked about how their probably best bet is for them to be bad or you know just yeah. build and chill. And so like if he's already gone and he's a little bit older, it's because he's bounced around the league a little bit. Um, at least maybe older than people might think if he's emerging. He's going to be 26 before next up, next season starts. So, yeah, I I think they could consider it. But, I mean, you just landed him. He's like one of their lone bright spots. Maybe him and Jay Sean Tate from last year. I don't know. Like, just what are you doing if you trade him? Like, you're almost going OKC Thunder route or something. So, I, I didn't find him any deals. I'm sure a lot of teams would love to have him. But I think it's somewhat unrealistic. But uh, do you think they should try to move him? Well, I think this is this is very dependent on where that pick lands. If they get Cade Cunningham, I mean, I think your best bet is probably keeping Wood and just whenever, like, because I don't think their timelines will be too far apart. Um, and that's just the type of player you'd want around someone. Like, you don't want to kind of give them, like, the early days, Brandon Ingram, where there's, like, nothing around them, just give them the ball, tell them create, like, kind of, this is one thing I actually wanted to get to. Like, if Houston does get, like, a good pick this year, like, I don't think they should, like, go all in on being good. But I think they should try to create a quality environment and just culture for whatever that's worth. Um, it seems like when you're winning, you have good culture, and when you're losing, you have bad culture. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, just put some people who know how to play basketball around them. Put some good veterans who teach you veteran things on and off the court, put some good shooters around them just so you can create like a real basketball, like a high end offensive environment. So you can learn the right way to go about things. Um, and Woods being a super floor spacer center, but also being like probably one of the best, like probably like a top three pick and roll option in the league, just because of how good of a, a lob finisher he is and how good of a shooter he is. And I think I'm pretty sure the numbers back that too. So, um, if you get someone who you think is like your next star in the draft, then yeah, I think you definitely keep Wood. Um, try and have some growth this year. Try and get everyone on board, especially seeing how successful Coach Silas was with Porzingis in Dallas. Like I'm pretty sure like you should keep molding. I, he's talked about before how he was to mold Christian Wood into like kind of that sort of role. So yeah, I mean I think you definitely try to keep him, or you have him under contract, but you definitely keep him if you end up getting someone who thinks your next superstar and it's really interesting if you don't, cause that's kind of like what you're getting at. Like what were you, you were just the worst team in the league. Then like, you're trying to be terrible again. Like what's the point of keeping a really good player who's not crazy young on a good contract. That's value. His trade value is only going to go down. Um, kind of Detroit's in a really similar situation with Jeremy Grant right now. It, it very similar in the fact that they literally signed him in the offseason. Like, that player chose to go to that location. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how both those play out. But, yeah, if Houston doesn't keep their pick, I mean, I think you have to listen. Like, you're not – I think you're doing a disservice if you don't listen. If you say, oh, we're keeping them, we're not trading them. Uh, I looked around for deals, but it's – I mean, there's nothing out there that's like – like out of the teams that maybe could need us that need a center or just a big in general, it, it was tough. Um, do you have any more thoughts for you? Uh, for though, I guess the only real one I had out there. Uh, only that, like I, I can see them wanting to do that, and yeah, it's just like, where, what are you actually gonna do with him? His his remaining two seasons. It just it just feels weird, and I feel like it doesn't happen very often that players immediately get traded, especially when they're this young. Like Marcus Morris obviously got signed and then traded next to the Clippers and like an asset play, but 
fairly rare to happen. To he was he was in on that. Yeah, I think he was well aware. Whereas I don't really think Wood would has was would have been notified of it in advance. So it seems like a little bit strange. Um, I'm sure plenty of teams would want him, but like what? So you're the Rockets. Like what even is a type of offer that you'd want? Like a it, first round tough. pick, and then like yeah. uh, to reset the clock. So like a Kongwu and like a middling first, like not necessarily the Hawks, but like, you know, a, a young project big, yeah. that's like five years younger and then a small asset or a medium asset. Like maybe I'd be, I mean, I'd probably be interested in that. Yeah. Like that's kind of what I kept falling back on. I'm just like, I mean, you know, you have a good player here. So even if you're tanking, like, do I really want to just take someone that's a question mark and add one more pick to the future back? Like I just, there's a good chance you're going to lose that. And, like, you know Christian Wood's good. You know he has real potential just based off his tools and skills he's already flashed. And, like, his, he's pretty young in NBA playing days. So, but then again, it's like if you're trying to tank he's, and he's going to help you win too much and you're not going anywhere anyway, anyway, and he's on a short contract, so he will have the ability to walk on his own if he wants. So it's like day by day his trade value decreases. Um. I don't think there's any way anything would get done in the offseason, too, uh, even if they don't win, if they don't keep their pick. It's one of those things that maybe if a glaring need comes up in the season and you need to embrace the tank a little more, and it's like he'd probably be on the same page if you're not winning still. That's probably the scenario where I see that working out. But, like, I mean, Detroit probably missed out on their best chance to get value for Jeremy Grant. And for what? Uh, to next year, he's when they probably try to win a little bit more because they seem like the type they're gonna definitely try to win too early. He's gonna help you win 28 games instead of 20, which will only ruin your tank. Like, and when you could have potentially gotten two first, maybe and probably more from like a Boston, you probably could have got two first from Boston plus one of their lower level young guys. Um, it seems like that was the type of offer that was on the table. So, I don't know. I mean, I, like I said, I don't think there's any way something happens in the offseason. Just because, I mean, just all the stuff we've, talk, we've talked about. Um, do you have any trades for him or anything else to add to that? What if what if OKC would give you your fifth pick back? But right now, like, so you don't know if it's actually going to be worthwhile or not. The right to your fifth overall pick back for Christian Wood and some salary that doesn't matter. Actually, I mean, they, they could just take him into space. So, so what would that offer look like then? Like, just so it would be, it would be, yeah. So basically removing or letting them protect it further than fourth, right? So protect it to fifth instead of fourth. So no matter what, Houston keeps their pick for Wood. But what we have to decide right now. You don't get to see the lottery yeah. first. That's not enough for me. I can't do it. Because, I mean, if you win the lottery, then it's nothing if you get a top four pick. Um, I actually, OKC was interesting, though. Like, I was kind of something you were talking about, too. Just like, how, what would Houston want in return? How would other teams value him? Like, is like the seventh pick in the draft, would that be too much or too little for him? Like, like I, it's, I think he's one of the, like, depends on the team. Guys, right? but it, yeah. Yeah, so, and I, I think all those some young people te- saying that's too much, and some people saying that's not enough. Yeah, so maybe that's kind of spot on off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but one of the reasons I struggle with the trade, trying to trade for him, like one for all the reasons I said, like it's not likely to happen this off season. But two, because of that, that means Houston would need to be blown away. So it's like these teams probably aren't going to throw that type of offers, but. If I'm just trying to look at neutral value, kind of ignore all those other, or just like good trade value, ignore some of those other factors. Like all those teams who are in that range, they're probably not looking to speed up their timeline like that. Um, they're not going to want to give up the tenth pick in the draft for in most cases. Uh, maybe tenth is where they're at a position position where they might be looking to speed it up, but like five through nine, like most those teams probably aren't trying to give up their first round pick to get someone who's uh, the good young guy, but you don't really know if it even helps you win yet. But like, you'd probably rather just get the four years of team or 
seven, eight years of team control on your pick. Um, well, what about Toronto? So Toronto has the seventh pick. It's the oh. lottery stands, stands pat right now. Oh, wow. Actually, they completely slipped my mind. I really like that. If Yeah, if they – so Toronto gets, like, the seventh pick. That's actually really interesting. Because they do have a gaping hole at center. They have a youth movement as long as Kyle Lowry leaves. I mean, they still do. They have a young core, youngish core. Yeah, he'd fit right in that, like, just, like, kind of prime age, good player group, like the Siakam, OG, um, Van Fleet. They're all, like, the same age. Yeah, we were talking about that with Beal. You just have, like, when we did our Beal pod, you just have, like, a bunch of really good 25 to 28-year-olds. Yeah, that's actually super interesting. All right, what I had, <laughs> so I had Charlotte, but Charlotte was kind of the theory behind what I was thinking. It was like, if I'm Charlotte, let's say I have a little bit of lottery luck and I get, well, I guess you can't have a little bit of luck. You either get top four. Um, I just don't, I don't remember how the play-ins and all that affects things. Do you know what Charlotte's odds are? Or like, they're kind of Yeah, positioned? they they tied for 11th, and I think they won the coin toss. So they have like an 8.5% chance. Um, of top four, I believe. Yeah, so I guess off the top of my head, I was just thinking Charlotte was a little, um, they're going to have a little bit better pick than that. But, yeah, let's assume they don't jump in the top four, so they're looking at somewhere just, probably just their own pick. They're looking at, like, 11. Like, what do you, would you give that up? And then 11, that's kind of where it gets to the point where it's like, if I'm Houston, is that enough value? Like, I mean, that's good value, but, like, would you rather just keep the good player at that point versus? Yeah. Especially when it's your so, yeah. fourth, fourth first round pick this year. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of just the thing. The main point, I guess I was getting at with what it's like really hard to just kind of find a, a good graphic value on them. And just the fact that it's unlikely that a trade happens is off season. The, one like kind of just interesting one that I had was with New Orleans, um, who actually cut him and decided to keep Julia Okafor two years ago. Um, but I think he'd be a great fit next to Zion. So maybe you try and get Houston to eat one of Adams or Bledsoe uh, as your matching salary, and you get to get off some bad salary as New Orleans. But obviously that means Houston's going to want more, which at this point I don't know how many picks it would take, but – I mean, one of, one of those bad salaries, one of the young guards, and some picks. I mean, I don't know. I really like the fit of him in New Orleans, like I said. Um, maybe if you, if New Orleans throws a ton of picks at them just because they take the bad salary too. But, yeah, I really struggled finding some trades for him. Yeah, Pelican's idea is always a good one. I mean, they could make it work just with, picks and like you said they have a lot of salary so who knows what it'd actually be maybe the kings like if they lose Rashawn holmes uh, they kind of have a weird semi-old core with like barnes and buddy healed and yeah you know, fox is obviously younger but the, the kings could send like the ninth pick tenth pick whatever and delon Wright or something maybe houston would be interested in that yeah that's all i really had for trades do you have anything else uh, just because I scoured the league for Eric Gordon deals, I the only one I could find is him to Chicago. They seem to be kind of going for it. They have a couple bad sellers. They have Aminu who is going to opt into his $10 million and then like a Troy Brown or something. Um, another scorer off the bench. They kind of have all scoring, but he, he plays defense too. It creates massive spacing, like you said. Uh, you don't even really have to say anything about that if you don't want. And then also Bledsoe <laughs> for Eric Gordon. I just thought it was funny. Um, oh, David Griffin loves loves his long overpaid deals. It, it kind of makes sense, though. I mean, the Pelicans have kind of a point guard glut, especially if they bring back Lonzo. They have Alexander Walker, yeah. Kira Lewis, and just another shooter who would always be great with Zion. doesn't really fit the timeline, but neither does Steven Adams and neither does Bledsoe, so. Yeah, I was just yeah. random. Eric Gordon landing. Yeah, I like, I like that Chicago one. That's pretty interesting. And Chicago's clearly trying to win. So that's another interesting thing for the lottery. Um, they actually get to keep their pick if it's top four. So 
Yeah. I wonder what I wonder what Orlando would prefer. Honestly, I think unprotected next year or top four protected this year. Mm, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, maybe the maybe they push it to next year. Is it unprotected? I thought so. That might be wrong though, but I mean, it seems really strong. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be any more than four, so. Maybe they just want the asset now and see what they can do with it. Yeah, especially since I think it's Chicago definitely could be will end up being better. Just a full season of Vooch, no COVID absences, uh, some young guys getting better. I think I'd rather just get it this year wherever it ends up. Um, yeah. yeah. So did you say did you say you have a few other trades or was it just the Eric Gordon ones? Just the Eric Gordon ones. Yeah, we kind of, despite all of our jumping around, that's kind of been the central point. Like it's likely going to be a pretty boring off season for Houston. Uh, I almost forgot what team we were doing. That's how boring it's probably going to be. Uh, you want to get some free agency talk? Yeah, we can breeze by this as well. I do. You have a bunch of guys. I just have like a smattering of inconsequential players. Yeah, like that. You just like that's the word right there. Inconsequential. Like it literally, <laughs> like doesn't they, their season doesn't matter if they don't like get good lottery odds. Like they're playing to lose. So it's like the free agency. You, I don't know if you're actively looking for players to help you lose. Like I was joking about in the beginning, but like it literally doesn't matter. Um, but I guess maybe this is kind of one thing I always bring up a lot with young teams and. Houston, like I was telling you offline, they actually don't have cap space, but they felt like a cap space team, but John Wall makes a lot of money. (laughs) Um, But maybe, like what I was getting to about what I say about these uh, young teams, maybe just spend the offseason, the future seat, trying to add one member to your core. So they, Houston's been pretty good, or Raphael Sun's been pretty good about finding minimum guys, overseas guys, like he's been, he's done really good at that. So, if I'm Houston, I'm just I'm probably check, regardless of if we get lottery luck or not. I'm trying to add one at least one guy to my young core, uh, and they can move around a little cap space if they have to. Like they could if there was like a restricted free agent, they could sign and trade pretty easily, um, or they could if they needed to open up space for a guy, they could move a DJ Augustine or something and remove their holds. So they can. I'm just a, I'm not going to, like, map out the path for all these guys, but some guys that do have, and like the, you might have to pay, like, around, like, $12 million or so because it's somewhat realistic. But just kind of look at some of the restricted guys, like Josh Hart, Laurie Markinen, Lonzo probably be out of the range. But the two guys I like the most um, are Taylor Horton Tucker and Mitchell Robinson. But Robinson, we don't even know if he'll end up being a free agent. If he does become a free agent, he's restricted, so he's probably not going to be able to get him. But if somehow you can get a sign and trade, which, I mean, New York really loves Maryland's Noel, so maybe Amos Robinson's injury history and just kind of lack of progression, maybe it's a little more realistic than it seems. Um, but for someone like Charlotte would probably throw him a lot of money. Uh, but yeah, my favorite probably is Taylor Horton Tucker because he might be playing his value down in these playoffs right now. And – um, he's still so much in the question marks, so he probably don't, won't help you win too much. Just throw him and Kevin Porter Jr. out there, tell them to just do whatever they want on offense, develop some skill, and maybe one of them pops, maybe both of them pop, maybe both of them turn into at least good players. But, yeah, I think that'd be pretty interesting. THT is a good one. I had the same thought of you as you did with uh, Markinen and Josh Hart. I I think Markinen actually be... Yeah, marketing I like a lot. Pretty compelling. Um, and you made a good point. They they can get uh, range to put offers on these restricted free agents if they need to. Um, I mean, they have a million picks. You could dump DJ Augustine. They could always move one of their picks to a future pick. Um, yeah. Like, they have three firsts this year. They could trade for, like, a 2022 first or something. Take a guy who stashed overseas. So, I mean, they have ways to open up a little bit of space, like, 
it's not gonna be in max space and <laughs> got rid of like everyone and gordon included but but yeah i liked marketing and is my favorite and then back to your point earlier just I have a few guys who just would make the environment better for a rookie like doug mcdermott i thought would be a decent target just shooting yeah. make the team make a little more sense um he's actually had a really good season i would think indiana would want to bring him back but we'll see uh, if they actually do or not um derek jones jr if he opts out he was yeah i forgot that, about uh, him on my list but yeah definitely right um probably don't need like another like high usage player because with john wall kevin porter jr and christian wood those guys do kind of all like to get their shots up and and, and if they actually land a rookie who is kind of has like offensive minded, that's already getting to be quite a bit. I mean, those guys, some of those guys aren't in your long term plans, but like you mentioned earlier, you want to set up a good environment for these rookies and, you know, not have them like iced out <laughs> in the corner. So, or, or just with like clog spacing and, and yeah, something that can hamper their development. So, yeah, those are the few guys. I, I don't see them being a place teams. Uh, players want to go just because they're going to be bad and they kind of have a lot of bodies already so how much playing time are some of these fringe players going to get on the Rockets they don't know if they could just be traded right away since their future is so questionable Um, so yeah I don't foresee them really landing anyone maybe like one guy if they give the MLE or open up space for one of these restrictive guys but I think pre-agency is going to be pretty quiet yeah some other names are like real quick uh, these two, you can maybe just overpay them, just the fact that just to get some defensive bodies in there on like a one-year deal, and then just move them on at the deadline if needed. But maybe like a Semi Ojale or a Bruce Brown. I don't know how much Bruce Brown is about to make. That's gonna be pretty interesting. But I'd imagine anything about the minimum gets you Semi. Um, Bruce Brown, I feel like anything. He'll probably now that he's tasted winning. Like I'm sure he's gonna not go to a terrible team. Like. But maybe somewhere around the MLE for him. Like I don't know. I think that's a little bit of an overpay, but just the fact that he's on a winning team. I mean, maybe potentially the championship team. So maybe he will get around that range from a good team instead. But yeah, basically that's all I really got on them. What about their own free agents? Like, do you think they should bring back Olenek? Uh, I I wouldn't mind bringing him back just for floor spacing big. I don't want to pay him a lot. Or actually, years is probably more important than, than dollars for, on him just because you don't want to hamper your future if you if and yeah. when you actually have space later. But if it's like one or two years at something reasonable, I'd be fine bringing him back. Exum, not so much. I mean, he might be a decent flyer. He was hurt the entire season, and he can't stay on the court. So. His entire career. Yeah. Is this like his – is he a third draft guy? And is he a fourth draft guy? I don't know what to call him, but he might be worth Yeah. <laughs> A look, but who knows, right? He can't stay on the court. Um, and then DJ Wilson, same. Like, I haven't seen a lot from him. Feels like he's more of a minimum guy already, even though he hasn't gotten yeah. that much of a chance. Yeah, I definitely like keeping Olenek and um, Wilson around, especially in the scenario where you have some lottery looks and you can have you can throw a competent team out there because Wilson, he can, he's fine as a backup big, um, but just two bigs who provide some shootings. In a few different aspects, um, you can just create a quality environment like we've talked about for your young guys. Um, and then Olenek, you can probably, if he builds, not even builds, I'm just kind of has a similar season to what he did in Houston. You can trade him for value probably at the deadline if he's on a short-term deal. And you like Sterling Brown, too. You'd probably try to retain him. Yeah, and that's another thing. Like if you keep him around, if you're good, not try and move him. Yeah, makes sense Yeah, that's... That's all I got on him. Real quick, maybe we should touch on uh, Laurie Markin a little more because, I mean, his value is kind of falling apart. This could be a real nice chance for him just if he, maybe Houston needs to create cap space or maybe they just give him the Derek Jones Jr. or the Julius Randle. Like, they both got similar positions, similar, uh, similar second contracts, just kind of two for the mid-level or just around that money and make, maybe make the second year some form of option or whatever, but essentially prove it deal. I mean, I actually think that makes a lot of sense for all parties because he'd get all he can eat on offense and really get to explore his game. He'd probably be in a position to put up good numbers just in that offense environment around um, Christian Wood as another stretch big. 
and maybe that's the best defense environment for him too, kind of like John Collins, how he's been way better on defense playing with the real room protecting centers. So I think that actually be something interesting for both parties. Yeah, don't you think they would just match if it took two years, the MLE, though? I mean, I, I feel like it, that'd be a, a logical thing to do, but I'm kind of maybe looking at like the personal element here. It seems like they're just so they're just like kind of moved on at this point. Maybe you just do a sign and trade, just two seconds or whatever, and or just one of these like not as valuable first that Houston has coming towards to them. Yeah, I, mean, I was I was originally thinking it might take like I don't know like eleven to fourteen million to get him. But that that could be high. I, I don't know what his value is. I think you're right that the Bulls have soured on him. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting. Even like like 330. I, think, I don't know. I would probably give that to him if if he was willing yeah, to come I, play. I would imagine he wouldn't want to commit to what he probably considers to be that low of money for yeah. long term, though. That's that's a good point. That's a good. Point. Yeah, I think like now that. I just kind of started talking myself through it. I think that is Julius Randle and Derek Jones Jr. It's kind of like perfect analogs. There's a chance to make a little bit of money, not life-changing money, but like still more than solid money and a chance to really up his value. Yeah. Yeah, but then if you're then if you're Houston, how interested in that are you really? Because then, like, yeah. the shorter deal, if, if he proves himself – He's going to leave or command way more money. And if he doesn't, you, it was kind of a waste anyway. Yeah, maybe you look at it as either he, you're good and you're in a, in a year or two and you're ready to pay him a little bit more. Yeah. Or that he's worth the money, so you're happy to pay him. Or that you trade him and get some value for him. Um, I think there's a few positives that come out of that. That's fair. Any, fi- any final thoughts? I think I'm sure I missed a few thoughts, but it's about – midnight over here on the east coast so i think i got everything off my brain perfect yeah all right that's i think we'll call it there we'll talk to you all next time